Good evening, Australia, and welcome to Under the Wire. Hello to the rest of the world, wherever you may happen to be. My name is Meryl Dory, and this is the home of censored and suppressed information about vaccinations and health. And I am hoping that this is going through because the last time I tried to broadcast to Facebook, it didn't work at all. I was blocked on every single um, channel that I had. I'm also, I have heard from a lot of people that my voice is too low. So I have revived my Blue Yeti microphone that I haven't used for a while. And I'm trying to use this. If you are um, hearing me or not hearing me, please let me know. Um, tonight we have a pre-recorded interview with Dr. Ted Corin. Hi, Mary. Good to see you. And um, this was recorded about three weeks ago. It was actually supposed to air last week, but with all of the information that was coming out about the lockdowns on their way um, and the potential of compulsory vaccination, uh, we actually tabled that for a little while and had uh, an, an interview between myself and Anita Hoffmeister, which was incredibly well listened to, watched. Uh, we had over 65,000 views and 100,000 people reached. And um, so I have a funny feeling that the problems with Facebook started because Facebook, some sort of algorithm was switched off that um, someone who was saying something that the government wouldn't approve of. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for letting me know that you can hear me. That's great. I will try and use this from now on. I have to let you know also that um, when I switch over to the pre-record, it's possible that you're not going to hear me for another for a minute or two because I haven't done this before. And I'm just not sure if technically it'll work with the microphone plugged in. So it's going to take me a minute to switch over. I'll have to unplug the microphone and plug in the headphones, um, you know, say a prayer under a full moon and hope that it works. <laughs> so um, fantastic. I'm so glad you can all hear me. Uh, it's nice to know that this microphone is working well. That's great. Now, before I go to the interview, there are a couple of things that I would like to discuss. First of all, um, we could have predicted that the government would choose, the government of um, Queensland, of New South Wales, and now Victoria would choose to um, bring in a lockdown. It's the fifth lockdown in Victoria. And the head of the AMA for Victoria was quoted today as saying that um, we have to stay under lockdown until uh, we have no cases. And what I'm thinking is, this is the fifth lockdown. If it didn't work the other four times, what makes him think it's going to work now? Um, you can never lock down against a viral disease. It either goes through the community or it doesn't. And people who are sick should stay at home and people who are well should do whatever it is they need to do. But of course, hi Bruce, good to see you. Um, but of course, what we're, what we're seeing now is all of these states locking down and that is ahead of next week's, um, 
Saturday a worldwide demonstration. It's a freedom demonstration. We've had a few of these before. This is going to be the biggest one yet. There are over 180 cities that are participating in this uh, rally um, demonstration for freedom. And uh, we are having it in every capital city of Australia and some regional locations as well. You can find more information about that on this Facebook page. It's facebook.com worldwide demonstration. And that will show you all of the places where this is going to be. Now, the thing is, last time we had it, I was in Brisbane. I'm going to try to be in Brisbane again, but it is possible that the border between New South Wales and Queensland is going to close and um and sydney and melbourne uh, are on full lockdown so the only way that these demonstrations are going to be successful is if tens of thousands of people get out there it's not going to be a few hundred. It's not even going to be 2,000. We need tens of thousands of people. If you have seen the demonstrations that were going on in Paris, in Athens, in London, against the same thing that we're protesting here, um, well, I don't think it's in full lockdown, but there are certainly restrictions, Jennifer. Jennifer said she didn't know that Queensland was in lockdown. Lockdown is right now in New South Wales and in Victoria, but there are restrictions because one person, one person tested positive. And with the government using a PCR test that range from between 45 and 40 cycles, the cycle threshold is way too high, every single um, positive result that comes out is most likely a false positive. So the government is using these tests to basically do whatever they want. Um, and Alan Jones said that his uh, he, Sky News is doing fantastic reporting on this. And Alan Jones is leading the way along with Rowan Dean. Um, Alan Jones said that his information is that the Sydney lockdown will be um, in effect until August 20th. Now, if anyone is left alive in Sydney after that point, I guess they can be let out. But the fact is that there are going to be so many deaths and so much grief and and um, just, you know, pain because of this. We need to stop it. We need to stop complying. When I go to Woolworths or Coles or Bunnings and I see that I'm the only person in there without a mask, I despair. Because honestly, people, we need to wake up. The government is acting totally illegally. They are turning us into their slaves. We are not slaves. We are free humans and we need to act like it. Free humans do not wear face nappies. They don't wear muzzles. They do not scan in. They are not tracked and traced. They are not tested. They simply go about their lives in freedom the way they were born. So, um, yeah, we need to make sure that we are not complying with these illegal, unethical, and immoral um, dictates of the government. We have a right, and we all need to get out on July 24th, wherever we are. We need to get out. We need to join the protests. We need to be there. We will all be there. So please go to this page, Worldwide Demonstration. That's facebook.com 
forward slash worldwide demonstration and find the um, location nearest to you. Now, there are people here from all around the world. So please make sure that wherever you are, you go to this page and find out where the closest demonstration is. Share it with everyone. If you have a car and you're driving there, make sure that every seat is filled. Get all of your neighbors, get everyone out there. Um, I don't know if you saw the truck and tractor um, uh, protest that took place in Sydney and Melbourne uh, the night that the uh, lockdown was declared. They closed down the entire highway. They closed down bridges. Um, they demonstrated. They decided that if they were going to be feeling the pain, the government would too. And this is the sort of thing that needs to happen. We need to be visible. We need to be out there. And we need to be definitely um, making sure that we protest against this um, enslavement by our government. And that's what it is, enslavement. Um, Ashley Elizabeth, Queensland, Noosa and Brisbane cafes don't let me in unmasked and don't accept my medical exemption whilst pregnant with a baby on my hip. Ridiculous. You know, what you need to do is you need to put them on notice that what they are doing is illegal and you will file an official complaint. Download the information about um, the mask regulations in Queensland. If you don't have it, uh, you can do a search online, but if you can't find it, you really should be able to find it. But if you can't find it, contact the AVN and we will send it to you because what they are doing is illegal. And it's not good enough to just say that they're not letting you in. You need to say to them, listen, you are a local business. I would like to support you. But if you are going to be discriminating against me, then I have no option but to file an official complaint against you because you are in breach of legislation what is your name, please? I will be citing both yourself and the business. And you just have to do that. You have to stand up for yourself. So um, I honestly don't know, Danny, why the Gold Coast is not included. No doubt it will be soon because I think it must be an oversight. Maybe Anastasia was in such a rush to get out of the country and go to Tokyo that um, she forgot about the Gold Coast. And um Speaking of that, do you think that Anastasia is going to go into two weeks of quarantine in a hotel um, in Brisbane when she gets back from Japan? Hmm, let's lay bets on that. I have a funny feeling that she won't. Yes, Ashley, it certainly will. I have... I have done this myself in restaurants and I've done it at Costco. And as long as you show them that you know the law and they are in breach of it, they don't want to go to court. They don't want to be cited. So you have to take the bull by the horns and say, I am going to hold you personally responsible and I am going to hold this business responsible because I'm not going to put up with this. Um, so we really and truly need to make sure that we do what we can to make sure that our, our rights are being upheld. Nobody else is going to protect us. We need to protect ourselves. We need to protect our families. So um, we need to make sure that we're doing everything. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much, Kaz. Kaz has shared 
Um, some information from Reignite Democracy. They have some great information there. And the AVN tomorrow is going to be having template letters up on our website as well. So um, please check all the sites where this information is. Reignite Democracy, avn.org.au, knowyourrights.com. There are groups all around Australia that are getting the information out and we need to make sure that we are accessing it. As Know Your Rights says, if you don't know your rights, you can't protect them. So we all need to be aware of what our rights are. Um, uh, Julian Ray says, I think the truckies protest was a planned response and will bring about shortages due to no deliveries. I don't know about that. I actually saw the message that was sent out and it was sent out just before the lockdown was supposed to start. So I think it was very much off the cuff. And the fact that they got so many thousands of trucks and farmers with their tractors to participate in this to me means that, um, there is an awful lot of disgust in the community to what towards what the government is doing. And yeah, Adam has just shared the website for the AVN. It's avn.org.au. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. And um, and yes, Han Hanny said that they should do that all around Australia. They should. And every single one of us in Australia who is watching this needs to make sure that we are there on the 24th and that we bring everyone with us. As I said, 10, two or 3,000 is not going to do it. We need tens of thousands of people at each one of these locations. I don't care if you've got a children's birthday party. I don't care if you're busy or if you have to do your grocery shopping. Nothing is more important than getting out there and making sure that your voice is heard. Now, um, next week, the AVN is also going to be uh, putting out information about things that each one of us can do, uh, including letters that can be written to parliamentarians and other actions that we can take. Every single person in Australia who is watching this needs to go to avn.org.au and to sign up for our free email newsletter. It's right on the homepage. Um, please sign up so that you can stay in touch and make sure that you are um, taking the actions that are suggested because no, no one of us can solve this problem. But if we all work together, we can certainly do it. Um, if, if, you know, around the country, if millions of people come out, um, in total and protest against this, then it's going to have an effect. Um, the fact that that parliamentary petition against um, vaccine passports only had four days of publicity and it got 339,000 signatures. Um, don't you think that the government is seeing that and thinking, wow, if they could do that in four days, there's obviously a groundswell of feeling against this. We need to be watching what we were doing. So um, we need to be vocal. We need to be supporting each other and we need to be seen as well. Um, so please, everyone, share this information. Um, it's Pam, if you can't open avn.org.au, you're probably putting a www in front of it. Don't do that. Um, you can just type in avn.org.au or you can type in https colon backslash backslash avn.org.au. And either one of those should get you the website. There's also a link on the AVN Facebook page. Um, yes, James. James asked, is it true that the Privacy Act 94H does not apply to the QR 
code uh, to the QR scan in only to the COVID app. That is absolutely true. The privacy legislation only mentions the COVID safe app. It does not mention QR code scanning. A lot of people seem to feel that it should cover both things, but the only way that will happen is if someone takes this to court. And that is what needs to happen. If there are any solicitors listening to this who want to go to court over this, the AVN will be happy to speak with you. Please contact us. Um, oh, thank you so much. One of our wonderful moderators has just um, just shared vaccine refusal templates on our website. So please um, bookmark that link and go and check it out and share it. Um, we have rights. We just are not up, upholding them. We are not fighting for them. We need to start fighting like our grandparents fought in World War II for freedom. We need to do the same thing because right now we are not living in a democracy anymore. We are living in a fascist dictatorship. And I know that my father did not risk his life in World War II so that I could live in a fascist dictatorship. And I will fight as if I was at war because right now the government is at war with me. So we need to all make sure that we take this as seriously as possible. So um, I am very grateful to you all for coming along. And uh, I don't want to talk for too much longer because I do want you to hear Ted Corin. Ted Corin is someone I was lucky enough to meet about 10 years ago uh, when I was in the United States. And he spoke at a seminar about, chiroprac about chiropractic. But I'd been following him for a long time prior to that. Uh, at that point, most chiropractors that I knew in Australia had Ted's information in their practice. Um, this is before they were taken over, silenced, and suppressed. And what Ted has done, his example, is something that even though tonight's show is not specifically about COVID, it is about how people standing up can make a difference, can change things for the better, and can make sure that our rights are upheld. He is an incredibly brave man, an amazingly dedicated person. And I just think that he is someone that we should all be emulating, especially at a time like this. So I'm going to switch to the video. Um, please let me know straight away if you can't hear it, and I'll start it again. I'll pull out the... Um, the microphone. I think that's what I might have to do, but I'm not sure. Okay, so hang on one second, and I will hopefully bring you Ted Corin, and you can hear the um, the interview. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Under the Wire. I'm here with Ted Corin, who is a chiropractor in the United States, and um, he teaches chiropractic and practices, and I was lucky enough to have met him about 10 years ago uh, at a conference in the United States, and I've long admired him for much longer than that. Uh, and he's here to speak with us today about uh, his history, where chiropractic was in the past, and where it's going in the future. So, Ted, welcome, and thank you for coming on thank the you. show. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. So tell me a little bit about you and how you started out in chiropractic, what it was like back then and why you chose it. Oh, well, um, my family uh, was open to natural healing. So many of us are influenced by our families, my grandmother especially. She was uh, from the old country, Lithuania, Vilna. Okay. And she, uh, years ago, 
that right after the Second World War, my mother was a teenager, I think. Was my mother ever a teenager? I do wonder. But that's another story. So they were in Brooklyn, where we live, where, well, I was yet to be living. And uh, my mother came down with a massive headache, and they were in like a department store. And the woman behind the counter said, upstairs is a doctor who could help her. And they walked upstairs to his office, first time we'd ever been exposed. They had been ever exposed to chiropractic. And uh, my mother walked out and that horrible headache, whatever it was, was gone. And that opened up the family to looking for chiropractors closer to our home. We found one, uh, Dr. Friedland. And Dr. Friedland, uh, well, when I was about nine years old, I got uh, pneumonia. And we were living in our summer home in New Jersey. And uh, my parents decided to bring me back to our home in Brooklyn, where my grandmother, uh, she lived in one of the apartments there, would take care of me and had the doctor come over. And the doctor, Dr. Iserson, gave me a, a shot Monday. I hated shots. I don't know what the hell it was. Those days, they didn't have an ammonia shot. But anyway, he gave me a shot on Wednesday. And he must have struck my sciatic nerve because I couldn't walk. I, I, I was in horrible pain. One from on my one side from the waist down, I, I was unable to stand and walk. And so uh, on Friday, he came for the third shot. God only knows what he was doing. I remember he'd wake me up early because uh, they would, he would come before his office hours. So he... Uh, he woke me up. I was sleeping in my bedroom, and my grandmother says, "Before you give him the shot, uh, let, I want him to. I want Ted to walk for you, Teddy." And uh, I went to get out of bed. I don't know why. My, I, at the time, I had no idea why my grandmother would say that because she knew what horrible pain I was in. I went to get out of bed, and I collapsed to the floor because I couldn't walk. My leg was paralyzed, and I pulled myself up on the, the shelves and the counter of the, of the dresser and I, I tried to walk and my grandmother just went ballistic and started screaming at him wow. what did you do to my grandchild what did you do to my grandchild and uh, he was really sucker punched and uh, <laughs> she physically threw him out of the house she grabbed him and threw him out never interfere uh, with know. baba oh <laughs> uh, you don't screw around with a Jewish grandmother's first grandchild. That's, oh. That was the lesson he should have learned. But uh, then she called Dr. Friedland, the chiropractor. And he made a house call that day. And uh, I could walk. And the second visit, my pneumonia disappeared. Right. And so uh, I, I actually got to repay the favor because a friend of mine, uh, a neighbor, his daughter, had. he called me up and said his daughter just came back from the hospital with pneumonia. She was a teenager. And can I do anything? And I came over and uh, took two visits, but her pneumonia completely cleared up. And I told this story to a group of old timers years ago, old time chiropractors. And a guy yelled out, hmm, two visits, huh? You know, in my day, it only took one visit to get rid of pneumonia. <laughs> and I said, well, well, she was on a lot of antibiotics. And he said, okay, I'll give you the extra visit. <laughs> and that was my initial experience with chiropractic um, and uh, pneumonia and paralysis. And it was only when I went to chiropractic school, people said, you know, this is good for backaches, too. 
I had no idea. <laughs> to me, chiropractic was headaches and, you know, pneumonia and paralysis and uh, anything really that was wrong with you. You went to the chiropractor first. They didn't give you drugs. They didn't do surgery. They didn't give you shots. And yet you've walked out feeling great. And I thought that's what healing should be. It's funny. And I'd that, like to um, relate a story of mine about chiropractic because um, I never heard of a chiropractor until I was living in Australia. My my parents always had doctors. They had GPs or, you know, MDs, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, they did all the regular MD stuff. And when I was probably in my mid-30s, my father had an accident at work and he was getting injections in his shoulder because he'd, he hurt his shoulder somehow at work. And the, uh, the doctor that he was getting the injections from suggested that he see a chiropractor. And I remember my father calling me and saying, I'm going to see a chiropractor. And I said, what, a chiropractor? You may as well go and see a witch doctor. What are you doing? And <laughs> he went to see him once. And he said, I've never felt better in my life. My shoulder is completely healed. I don't need the injections anymore. And it wasn't until I had my first child and slipped a disc, sorry, my second child and slipped a disc that I was referred to a chiropractor. And I walked out, walked in, hunched over like this and walked out standing up straight. And to this day, I still see that same chiropractor 35 years later. And it's it is amazing. Oh, nice. He he is our our um, primary care physician for my family, and always has been. So yeah, I just had to share that little story with you, um, because I think a lot of people mm -hmm. have never seen a chiropractor and don't really know what chiropractors do. So it's That's it's right. good that you brought that up about how they can work on so many things, not just a, a sore back. Yeah. Yeah, I remember now you're talking about it. My father used to say that uh, if, you, if you ever felt a cold coming on, this is when I was a little kid, he'd say, hey, any time I ever felt a cold coming on, I'd go to my chiropractor. He said, in his words, he'd knock it out of me and I wouldn't get a cold. <laughs> I got colds. Why didn't he bring me? <laughs> Child abuse. I'm still Absolutely. dealing with this issue. <laughs> so uh yeah a lot of people don't know what chiropractors do is uh, well you can have a whole list of menstrual problems pregnancy problems um, digestive issues vision hearing uh colds flu pneumonia uh, uh i have developed a procedure called corin specific technique that i've been to australia to teach a few times that actually is a way of using chiropractic to uh, get rid of dyslexia often in one visit wow and allergies and phobias uh it responds they respond beautifully because what you're dealing with in a lot of conditions you have a uh, a bad pattern your nervous system's going round and round and round and chi chiropractic uh, properly done is a pattern interrupt breaking an old unhealthy pattern that has developed freeing the body so it could heal itself Right. taking pressure off of uh, the nervous system yep. and the brain. So it's really powerful. Chiropractors used to own and run mental institutions, and all they did was use chiropractic care and good nutrition. Right. And the results were better than the state mental institutions. I know that... Um, and this is... Uh, hmm? 
prior to the... Well, this is part of the background on chiropractic that few people know about. Even many chiropractors don't know their own history. They don't know their own power. Yeah. So when the profession has deteriorated into something that's for backs and back and neck pain, headaches, whatever, um, as a pain doctor, a non-drug aspirin, uh, I say, well, that's good, but it's really selling everyone short. Uh, my brother had asthma as a kid, my youngest brother. Then he would get the chiropractic adjustment, his asthma would disappear. The attack would just stop immediately. Um, you can find pretty much nearly any condition responding to chiropractic care. And the important thing to know is chiropractors are freeing your body from stress so that you can, your own natural healing ability can work at greater potential. Yep. And many That's people have found that chiropractic is all that they need. Um, when you, you were raised in a family that went to chiropractors, uh, were you vaccinated as a child? Do you know? I was vaccinated. Uh, and my two, the, my, the twin boys after me, my brothers, were vaccinated. But they had very few then. I still mm -hmm. hated them. Um, my brother David is the youngest. He's the only one in the family that has allergies and asthma. And uh, I asked him not that long ago, I said, David, how come you're the only one suffering from these things? And he said, well, it happened right after I got the measles shot. He wow. said, yeah, they, suddenly right after the measles shot, I started wheezing a few, a few weeks later. And suddenly they diagnosed me as having all these uh, allergies. Uh, believe it or not, he's an MD. Go right. figure. Well, you know, there's a black sheep in every family. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well said. Uh, but yeah, actually, my two younger brothers are MDs and one is a lawyer. Right. Um, right. What can I tell you? Yeah. So, um, but the, the MDs are the ones that seem to get it the best. Uh, when I tell them about this, they, they're more into nutrition. Uh, my, one of my brothers has, is an obstetrician gynecologist surgeon has the lowest cesarean rate in his hospital, 10 years running. Wonderful. I said, I said, Jeff, how come? How come yours is the lowest? What do you do differently than the other obstetricians do? He said it in two words, I wait. Yep. He That's says it. other doctors in a rush. That's the only difference. Yeah, and so many doctors are actually scheduling cesareans in advance when women have no indication that they're going to need one simply because they don't trust nature. Um, well, it's so much, uh, they can make in America, I don't know what your system is there, but uh, if you have private insurance, you get paid much more for a cesarean and you get to split it with the anesthesiologist and all the other people. So yeah. you're popular. Um, we find that there's many more cesareans before the weekend and right before holidays and parties and vacation days. Wow. Uh, it's just coincidence, of course. Of course, of course. Nothing to do with anything else. So <laughs> let's get back to your history, if we can. Um, you chose to go to chiropractic college. Um, and when you went there, was it a popular thing to do? Were there lots of people pursuing careers in chiropractic or... I think so. I mean, I'd like to think so. It, yeah. was, it was very, uh, I went to Sherman College and it was very gung-ho and very excited and we we're going to change the world and help the world, help people, help children, pregnant women, the elderly. I mean, there was nothing we felt we could not address and help. 
So it was it was a very good, exciting period with uh, a lot of uh, idealism, and uh, we and I, I loved that time. I had a great time there, and we uh, we had wonderful teachers. So and they they stressed the philosophy, which is not taught that much anymore. And that I think yeah. is why many of the Sherman graduates went out uh, wound up becoming very successful. Mm. more than other schools what is the philosophy of chiropractic can you tell us or is it just too big to even describe no it's very simple there are two main fields of healing uh philosophically and this has gone back over 2500 years there's the vitalists and the mechanists the vitalists have also been called the empiricists the mechanists have been called the rationalists uh, and these two, this oh, before the Hippocratic corpus, this, this battle has been going on. The difference is very simple. I can put it very in a nutshell. Vitalists say you have, uh, and we, they look for whatever is blocking your natural healing ability. The assumption is you are supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to heal. You're supposed to have a lot of energy and you're supposed to not have diseases. Uh, mechanists diagnose and treat. So they want to kill disease, destroy disease, as if a disease was an entity. In fact, vitalists say symptoms are actually how the body heals itself. Fever, vomiting, diarrhea, rashes, um, you know, pus, mucus. These are actually how the body externalizes toxins. And by interfering with symptoms, you can actually make a person much sicker on a very deep level. So uh, one of the really great things about vitalistic or empirical healing is that uh, we respect the body, we respect what it's trying to do, and we work with the body. Mm. If a body is raising a fever, you don't lower it. If a body has a rash on it, why, why is it happening? The skin is an, an organ that helps externalize poisons. Let us understand what's going on and are there any blockages? That's very important. What is blocking your ability to be healthy? And chiropractic discusses subluxations, which are spinal or structural distortions in the body, pressure on the brain and nervous system that actually prevents the body from functioning at 100%. And we locate uh, and correct these subluxations or distortions that we could do with our hands or instruments. I use an instrument now, I used to use my hands all the time but I discovered core and specific techniques. So uh, that seems to, for me, I found that it works in a superior way. But either way, the goal is to locate and remove blockages, interference. They could be physical, they could be mental, emotional, could be toxic, could be spiritual. Whatever level it's on and whatever level a doctor is trained to deal with it, our main goal is to let the person's body function as great as highest, closest to its perfection as it can. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this, you find uh, what's called retracing, or uh, the homeopaths had a name for it called the law of cure or Herring's law, meaning when you open up the healing channels, yicky stuff comes out. And it could be physical, it could be emotional. And people detoxify. But the important thing is the person is healing. They're getting rid of their toxins. I've had kids throw up after an adjustment, chiropractic adjustment or correction. It's the best thing in the world. Why keep it in? So better out than in. The medical model is really better in than out, and they give drugs and medications to really suppress symptoms. 
Yep. Medicine is not causal. Chiropractic and homeopathy and classical osteopathy, classic naturopathy, the, the traditional healing arts are really causal. They want to get to the cause. Which is, and you know, goal, it, you'll mm -hmm. never treat anything uh, successfully or for a long term unless you know what's causing it. And this is something that Western medicine doesn't even ask. They never ask, why is this happening? They simply, uh, you know, say it is happening. Let's stop it. And um, it is interesting that there is such a difference in the way of looking at things. I know, as you said, homeopathy and uh, naturopathy, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese herbal medicine, these all look at the whole person um, as chiropractic does, where Western medicine might look at the left toenail on the right foot. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> so, so amazingly uh, specific. Yeah, specialized. Yeah, that's it. That it never actually uh, sees the person in front of the doctor where you see the whole person. And I think that's a big difference also. Actually, yeah, I remember one medical doctor commenting on this law. And there, there are many MDs writing about this loss of, loss of the soul in medicine, as they've often referred to it as. And they'll say, uh, they remember one patient who said to the doctor, will you take that stethoscope out, out of my away from my chest and listen to me? And, uh, you know, a person is not a disease. This collection of symptoms is often totally unique to that person. In Chinese medicine, they say there are as many diseases as there are people. No two people with any named disease ever have the exact same disease. Yeah. And there are unique differences. Homeopathy gets into that in exquisite detail. The difference between the vitalistic healer and the mechanist is the vitalists like to see the person as a unique entity. The mechanists like to lump people into categories. So a vitalist of someone who's coming in depressed, for example, might say, well, is it a nutritional issue? Is it toxic? Is there a structural distortion preventing the body from healing? Is there a is there bioenergetic and energetic things? You know, is it familia? There's all kinds of things. Whereas the uh, medical model would be to just give the person Prozac and just say, oh, you're depressed here. I give this to all my depressed patients. And that is, I'm simplifying absolutely, but that is unfortunately part of the problem in medicine. They have generalized too much and we have, as a result, a sicker population, full of drugs, not healing, and having sicker children. Um, by the way, I lost your photo, your Here picture. There you I'm are. I'm back. <laughs> okay. Okay. And they, have, they are finding that this generation of children are sicker than their parents and grandparents, mm -hmm. more chronic illness. And the MDs have no idea why, but that's because they are not trained to look deeply into the person like many natural healers are. The reason why there's so much chronic disease is because we're suppressing acute illness. An acute illness, fever, diarrhea, rash, malaise, um, vomiting, what have you. These are acute symptoms. They're dramatic. They're, they're uncomfortable. Uh, but they serve an important purpose of externalizing poisons and rebalancing your homeostasis, your body balance. 
It's very important. Whereas the uh, medical model is to uh, push things in, drive disease deeper. When you suppress symptoms, you drive them deeper. When you dri drive a disease deeper, you, it goes from acute to chronic. Acute means temp is really temporary, dramatic, uncomfortable, but temporary. Chronic is lifelong. And that's why today, over half of all children have a chronic illness. It's funny. And we never said, had that before. No, we didn't. Our children are incredibly sick right now. You talk about and healing. there's a number of reasons why. And healing is something that Western medicine never really discusses. I don't think that the purpose of Western medicine is actually to heal anyone. Um, most drugs are not intended as healing drugs. People go on drugs and they're told they're going to be on them forever for most conditions. I mean, I'm not talking about an aspirin or an antibiotic. I'm talking about most of the drugs that are distributed and administered today are for chronic conditions that we're told we have to be on them for the rest of our lives. And we accept that because we've sort of been brought up to believe that whatever a doctor says is sacrosanct, that's true, and we don't question it. But in health, in a healthy person, you do not need drugs for the rest of your life. The other thing you talked about was detoxification. And in Australia, at least, the Western medical um, bodies like the AMA don't even believe in such a thing as detoxification. They don't think there is such a thing. And yet, through society, through our poor diets, through the use of drugs, through electromagnetic radiation, through all kinds of things, our bodies have become very toxic. And even when they see uh, people detoxifying and getting healthier afterwards, they don't accept that there's a connection. Why is there such a disconnect between reality that people can see with their own eyes, and I'm thinking specifically about vaccination reality here, where people see healthy children, healthy adults, become unhealthy after vaccination, and what doctors accept to be the case. Do you have any idea about that? Uh, money and power. Hmm. I mean, this money and power, and of course, money and power. And the uh, medical profession, you'd say, you'd think they didn't have eyes to see. I mean, uh, I remember I was at a conference once in which uh, a lawyer actually commented, said the needle could be in the kid's arm and the kid could be going into seizures. And the pediatrician is more likely to blame power lines across the street than the vaccine he was giving the child. Uh, they're in terrible denial. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, there's more MDs coming to see me for care. Uh, my work on cancer, for example, uh, understanding the causes has gotten much more popular, thank God, um, because it gets to the cause of the condition, not dealing with the symptoms. I remember I, uh, we had one pediatrician here, Dr. Harold Buttram, who was in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, about 40 minutes away. Beautiful man. And he died recently. He was 95. And Dr. Buttram was a family practitioner his whole life. And we went to see, visit him. And uh, we don't, when our kids were younger, you know, we would never go to medical doctors. And I took care of them or they'd go to chiropractic conferences and people would take care of them. Or we knew a homeopath that we liked with natural healers. You know, we wouldn't, we'd never go to a regular MD. Uh, I always considered them poorly trained and limited. And they are. 
So uh, we went to Dr. Buttram and MD because my wife was worried that, oh my God, what if something happens? And they ask me, who's your child's MD? And we don't have one. Then they'll take the kids away because we're medically negligent parents. That's, she was worried. And we've actually heard stories like that. Yeah. So she said, let's go to Dr. Buttram. And then uh, I knew he was anti-vaccination. So I liked him right away. And we went there and uh, he looked at the kids, said, great looking kids, saucy children, as he put it, which I'd never heard anybody use that phrase before, in America at least. And uh, he, you know, it was okay. But he, Dr. Bertram, Bertram told me, he says, you know, I have 33 autistic children in my practice. Every one of them became autistic after they got their vaccine. And yet in every case, the pediatrician said it had nothing to do with the shot. It was coincidental. Wow. What do you ascribe such blindness to? Because if there's the number one rule in healing, in medicine, anywhere is listen to the patient. When you listen properly to the patient, they will tell you what's going on and what they need. People are very wise and they have a good common sense unless they've been so terribly brainwashed. Um, and we know that many, many people are terribly brainwashed yeah. because how many people are wearing masks and social distancing and lockdowns? It's, it's really worshiping a false god. Yeah. I, I see it in such ridiculous lanes. I'll see somebody driving in the car by themselves wearing a mask. And what are it's they insanity. doing? Uh, I see people in the park by themselves walking their dog wearing a mask. Uh, there are people who uh, wear a mask in the shower, double mask, of course. There are people who wear a mask having sex by themselves. Uh, the World Health Organization recommended that. They said you shouldn't be having sex during COVID anyway, but if you do, you should both be wearing a mask. So people listen to that stupidity. Probably. <laughs> It, it is insane. And one thing that this past 15, 18 months has shown me is that uh, there is a segment of society that has become incapable of critical thinking because they have learned from television, from the talking heads, from the Fauci's, from the World Health Organization, that they're not capable of thinking and they need to have their thinking done for them. And they are put into a state of constant fear where they're no longer able to think in the first place. So um, I think that um, there is sadly a group of people in society who are going to not be able to be reached with common sense, science, data, or facts. Uh, but I do think that what we're yes, seeing also... Yes, we, we call them in America Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in Australia, we call them both parties because they're both the same. <laughs> yeah. Both actually in America, it's true. You have conservatives, Republicans and Democrats and all so-called progressives. Uh, many of them don't question the basis of this whole no. germ theory, which is has never been proven, never been postulates, Cox postulates for vaccines. I mean, for bacteria as well as for uh, viri, it was slightly different postulates used, has never been proven. No virus has been isolated, mm. but they keep going. And my wish is that they will fun suddenly realize the emperor has no clothes. Mm. I mean, what do you have to do to see that states that had no lockdowns or masks or social distancing did not have more deaths? And that even with the bizarre 
uh, way of, of taking the data. We've had people who were shot in, in bank robberies that said they said they died of COVID. Mm. The first person in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, near me, who was considered a COVID death had fallen out of a, a roof. He was a roofer and cracked his skull and died in the emergency room. They declared it a COVID death. Yeah. A friend of mine said maybe it was a Corona death. He had a Corona beer in his hand while he was working. <laughs> The, the thing but is, I, yeah. I've seen people and they no matter what you say, they just they go, they look like deer in headlights. And you think, oh, my Lord, the medical profession has had us in their grip for decades. And all we have are sicker children, more cancer than ever before, more heart disease, more asthma, more chronic illness. Why do we keep following that model if it's failed? It's a great question. And the, because they're they're the experts. I mean, you have somebody with a white coat and letter after the, letters after the name. They are the new gods, and that is a false idol. People are that. giving up their own intellect. In the U.S., all doctors wear white coats. They've got the stethoscope around their neck. It's like a uniform. In Australia, they don't. They dress in street clothes, except in the hospital. If they're in the hospital, a lot of times they will wear scrubs or or a white coat. But it. It's still that persona of God. Um, basically, doctors have replaced God, um, and they're above question. They're infallible like God. And even when they make a mistake, well, it's because God works in mysterious ways. Uh, we have to get past this uh, total acceptance of everything that doctors do. And it's, it's hard to say. When the AVN started back in 1994, one of our founding members was a chiropractor. Uh, actually, two of our founding members were chiropractors, uh, and we only had six founding members, so that's a pretty good percentage. And at one point, we had more than 10% of all chiropractors in Australia as members of the organization, and we had them as professional mm. members. So they were listed in our magazine. They would offer discounts and specials to people who were AVN members. The Chiropractic Association of Australia was a member. I was invited to speak at chiropractic conferences. Um, and then we had regulations come in that chiropractors could not do that any longer. And we actually closed down our professional membership because they were being targeted by the Australian skeptics. I want to talk to you a little bit about Stephen Barrett in a minute. But um, what happened was the chiropractors allowed their profession to be controlled by the uh, regulators who control Western medicine. And one thing that Western medicine hates more than anything else is competition. Um, they want to be the only answer to every question. Whatever question it is, it's a medical question. It has nothing to do with any other profession. Um, they do not believe that they should be subject to competition. Yes, it's a state-sanctioned religion. Yep. Now, you are speaking in the United States about using chiropractic to treat emotional issues, to treat children, to treat cancer, or maybe not to treat cancer, but to tell people about options regarding cancer. If you were in Australia, you would be deregistered. You may even be prosecuted. Um, are you at risk of that in the United States? No. No, if they go after me, I'll go after them. And let's talk about that because that has happened in the past. Tell me a little bit it about. Did. Yes, tell me about your. Yeah, the federal. Well, I have uh, Corn Publications. My my website for those interested, if you don't mind my telling you, Not at all. is uh, CorinWellness.com. 
K O R E N, corenwellness.com. I'm there somewhere. Yeah, that's you. Here. And oh, no, that's your YouTube channel. Uh, there anyway, there's, you'll see a few tabs. There I am. Um, and it talks about uh, my books on cancer and vaccination and my work uh, on patient education for chiropractors and uh, uh, corn specific technique that I developed. And when uh, I had, I do, you know, I was mostly doing only patient brochures, patient education. And I got a call from the Federal Trade Commission of the United States, the FTC, who said that my material is not in conformance with their uh, regulations, their guidelines. So I asked them, uh, you know, I said to them, I had no idea that there were guidelines for patient education. Uh, for chiropractors, please send me a copy of your guidelines. And the lawyer said for the government said, well, we really don't have any guidelines, but if we did, you would be in big trouble. <laughs> Can't I argue kid with you that. not, that's how it started. <laughs> and that was the beginning of a six and a half year legal battle between the Federal Trade Commission, very powerful, powerful commission, and uh, me and Corin Publications, my company. And uh, I uh, reached out to local chiropractors for help. The schools and state organizations uh, usually kept pretty much their distance. And uh, unfortunately, but individuals still believed in freedom of speech. And uh, they, they kept going after us. You know the warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you get a letter from the tax authorities? Well, imagine getting a, plumb, getting a letter like that from these guys every week or two. Wow. It was pretty painful. Finally, we found a smart lawyer who uh, did not like the government agencies. See, most of the lawyers we found had worked for the government agencies, right. were actually in awe and respect of them, and wanted to go back at a higher pay scale after they've had experience in the private sector. Needless to say, they would not be very original in attacking their future employer. Mm. But uh, Mr. Jim Turner was not of that mindset, and he took over the case. And uh, after six and a half years, the, uh, the FTC threw in the towel, as we say in America, and dropped everything. But uh, government lawyers are very bizarre. I don't know if they're truly human. Uh, the letter to us said we are no longer pursuing this investigation. I was never charged with anything. It was all an investigation. And the average person being investigated usually settles within six months. Six and a half years later, we're still slugging it out with them. I felt like Rocky, who gets the crap kicked out of him for nine rounds. And <laughs> then he gets a lucky punch. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but they, they, threw, they finally said in a very bizarre government lawyer way, uh, this is not to say you didn't, didn't do anything wrong. This is just say we're not pursuing the matter at the time. I mean, six and a half years spending government money, uh, and they had a lot of meetings and all kinds of expenses, and then finally saying we have a dead end. I hope it, I, I, I hope I was told actually that at least two people were demoted, who were big shots in the organization. I hope that's true, and it's not. Uh, their I would money. like to see them. Yeah, it's not their well, money I anyway, so they don't really care. What they waste. I was sort of hoping they'd be floating face down on the Potomac, but that's a, <laughs> a little fantasy I had. 
<laughs> you no, are from New York, Ted. <laughs> so did Brooklyn. they cover your costs? Did they cover your costs? No. no. So you were no. out of pocket for all it, that Technically, money. it didn't go to trial. I mean, there's a lot of technicalities. If it went to trial, the judge, and we had an actual trial, the judge could have awarded me court costs and everything else. Instead, we didn't go to trial. It was merely an investigation by a regulatory agency. Mm. That's how they cover their asses, as we say in Brooklyn. Yep. And you're taking that case but, would have been good for all of chiropractic because you proved... Oh, we were an example. They were using us as an example to destroy the entire profession. Mm. See, the federal government doesn't go after one person. They go after one person to destroy a whole industry. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one person, one doctor stops writing literature, big deal. But this will send a chilling message to the entire profession. And that's what they were looking for. Yeah. And that was admitted by no less a personage as uh, Stephen Barrett, who's a, a big quack buster, uh, <laughs> rather than quack. various quack buster in America. Yeah. And he was he actually sued me directly after the FTC case crumbled. And he went after me. What was um, the basis saying I had, of his case? What was said the I, I had, uh, let me, libeled him. Libeled him. I, okay. I told the truth. It just sounds like libel. Anyway, I went after, he went after me. We had a jury trial in Allentown, wow. Pennsylvania. Lasted four days. Wow, that's a big And uh, by the fourth day, the judge just, he wanted $100,000 for me to drop the case. We found out that he would pull this on people all around the country, start a case against them, and then offer to settle. A lot of people would settle wow. because... They don't want to spend the time and money, but uh, I didn't. And for Australians and watching Dr. this, Dr. Barrett uh, was so that actually on the fourth day, the last day of the trial, the judge stated that uh, there was no case here. He gave a directed verdict to the jury, telling them to go home. You're not needed. No laws were broken. So that was a big win for us. But then Barrett decided to appeal it to the Pennsylvania Court of Appeals. Oh, Lord, I thought, now we're going to have to go through this all over again. Um, eight months later, the Court of Appeals looks at the, you know, request to appeal the case and denies it. Good. Says, no, the original judge's decision was sound, and it's, it's great. It stands. So then he went to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So was, I felt like I was dealing with Dracula. Well, somebody finally put an iron stake through his heart and stopped this craziness. <laughs> and, you know, open laugh. up his casket, please. So <laughs> what happened was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, denied and said, no, no, the decision stands. And I thought, oh, finally, my God, it's over with. Then he went to the U.S. Supreme Court. You're I still kidding. have a copy of all the legal material. I'm not kidding. And after a year or so, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court just threw it out and said, no, this is not a constitutional issue. The, the judges, blah, 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 blah. I'm told that he is planning on going to uh, intergalactic court to uh, <laughs> that uh, that they are looking at the case. The Klingons are interested in, uh, in the case. So, and with the what Klingons, do you expect from the Klingons? You know? uh, yeah. 
So, Ted, I just want to explain for the Australians watching this that Stephen Barrett, um, his organization, which is an organization of one, as far as I know, is called Quackbusters, and it's um, linked with the Australian organization, the Australian Skeptics, Friends of Science in Medicine, and Stop the AVN. Um, these organizations all operate on the same basis, uh, that basically anyone who questions anything that is mainstream medicine uh, need to be put down. And if that means doing it through the court, then they do it. And many of them are funded by the pharmaceutical industry. It would be quite expensive to take all of these law cases against you. Who funded Stephen Barrett? Do you know? No. No idea. My attorney has suspicions that it might have been uh, one or two insurance companies who use him as a witness not to pay chiropractic claims. Right. But that's just speculation. We have nothing in writing, uh, although my attorney feels very strongly about it. I can't say that is the case. Who is funding him? That's a very good question because these lawyers are expensive. Yes. And he told the court he made only 20 something thousand dollars a year before taxes. Wow. I mean, as you can doctor. one attorney can run up a bill that big. Yeah, easily in a half a day. <laughs> we know that from experience. So, and, and again, yeah, so, so, you had to pay your court costs, and you didn't get anything back out of Stephen Barrett. Correct. Wow. Uh, well, in America, you could. Um, what do you call it? You Counter -suit? could charge anybody with anything and wind oh. up in court. Yep. It's very much the same in Australia, sadly, even though our legal systems are different. There's a lot of vexatious cases going on and, uh, and a lot of lawsuits that attack innocent people for the wrong reason. Um, so you have a lot more freedom of speech there, which probably is due to the fact that the United States has a Bill of Rights and we don't. Um, freedom of speech is guaranteed in the United States and it's not in Australia. Um, in Australia, chiropractors are under um, OPERA, the Australian Health Professionals Regulation Authority, who um, basically over-regulate any natural therapists and ignore completely the egregious um, uh, you know, things that, that medical doctors do all the time and that pharmaceutical companies do. And uh, they've done this to themselves, as I said. They allowed this to take place, and I think they're regretting it greatly now because chiropractic is dying in Australia. Um, have you seen huge changes in chiropractic in the United States from the time that you started uh, and graduated from chiropractic college to now? Well, I was once having uh, a chat with Dr. Harris Coulter, who was considered the world's greatest medical historian, as well as writing on subjects such as vaccination and homeopathy. And uh, the controlled clinical trial, is that work is a little gem. And I'm fortunate enough to have a collection of all of his works that we are going to be making available to the public. Fabulous. Um, his four-volume set, Divided Legacy, is over 2,500 pages, fully documented, showing the battle between the mechanists and the vitalists, between those who are medical and those who are into natural healing. And I was having a chat with him, and I said, you know, the chiropractic profession also is divided. There are some who are really more medical and some who want to stay true to the original principles of vitalistic healing and uh, finding the blockages and you know releasing the hidden subluxations as I write about in my materials. 
And I told it to Dr. Coulter, and he said, oh, that's nothing new. He said, that was, we've seen that in the homeopaths and the osteopaths. Even the medical profession has had a vitalistic side. They fight um, in every field. I said, well, how does it play out? He said, usually the mechanists win. Why? I said, why? So they said. And he said, <laughs> well, the vitalists are the true healers. They're the ones with the most successful practices. They have the, the, actually the wealthiest. They get the best results. They, they have the best philosophy. They have the biggest practices and the, and the most satisfied patients. The mechanists are really not the healers. They gravitate toward regulatory bodies, colleges, schools, and bureaucratic things. And so while you're seeing three or 400 people every day or a, few, a week, whatever, and they're seeing a dozen patients a week, but you're really busy practicing properly, and they're busy uh, in their free time. They go to the state board meetings and the organization meetings and take them over, and gradually the vitalists lose by default. So when you see this horrible thing happening in Australia, and America is not too far behind, you are really seeing a profession committing suicide because the professionals, first of all, they're taught by mechanistic teachers. Many of them uh, teach because they couldn't practice, which is not uncommon, or they were failures in practice. And therefore, they're taught by people who really are not that excited about what the profession's about. And they graduate students who are watered down chiropractors, more medical than chiropractic in many cases. Right. Sadly, that has happened to osteopathy and other professions, naturopathy, what have you. And gradually, the professions are taken over. And they lose their, their joie de vivre, their spirit to, they're on, on, what is it called? Detre, entre, detre, their reason for being. Detre de raison. Yeah. Raison d'etre. Raison d'etre. Raison d'etre. I didn't speak a lot of French in high school in Brooklyn, oh. but raison d'etre. Yeah, actually, but they do. Yeah. They really do. And we are looking at, uh, from an historical standpoint, a uh, the destruction of vitalism. You have to realize the American Medical Association, our AMA, was founded in 1848 with the sole purpose to destroy homeopathy, which was very popular in the U.S. Yeah. As many as one in five or one or six MDs in America were homeopaths. This was a terrible threat to the medical regular MDs, and they did everything in their power to destroy homeopathy, and then chiropractic and osteopathy and optometry and dentistry as separate professions. Yep. Podiatry too. They hate they competition. Permit, they just no, hate it. <laughs> they hate competition, um, and it's as as if uh, they have, have a religious belief in their own infallibility. Yeah. Uh, Robert Mendelssohn, medical doctor, wrote a wonderful book called Confessions of a Medical Heretic. Yes. Robert Mendelssohn's book was tremendous. It should be required reading in every chiropractic and medical school. I think it's out of print now, but I'm sure people can find it. Confessions of a Medical Heretic. And in it, he says medicine, he was on a radio show and they asked him, what do you mean heretic? That's a religious term. You're a medical critic. He says, no, medicine is a religion. 
And here I am, a medical doctor, criticizing the basics of my religion. Therefore, I'm a heretic. Yeah. He says, look at medicine. We have the, the priests with their white coats. We have uh, the foreign strange language they speak, the Latin. Of course, the bill is in English. And we have the rituals, the uh, putting drops in the eyes, the, uh, you know, in birth. Uh, we permit the doctors, MDs, to be there at birth and death and uh, many other events. So uh, we really are a religion, but it's a false religion, and we're worshiping a false god. And the medicine is founded upon that attitude that we are gods. Mm -hmm. Of course, they don't say it, but there's too many jokes about it to say it's not really the case, and we know <laughs> it is. And the medical arrogance... It would is horrible, but what's so arrogant is their blindness. Yeah. When children become vaccinated and become autistic or have allergies or get asthma right after the shots, how could they say no? But they do. They do. Because they are afraid. And also the medical doctors li are living in fear. It's their medical education. Um, because we actually have had the curriculum for medical school in New South Wales, the state that I live in, and they teach doctors for less than a half a day about vaccination in, in their entire years of medical school. And doctors are taught that the only things that vaccines can cause are swelling at the injection site, fever, and malaise. And that's it. They're taught that there's nothing else. So they don't even recognize when, I mean, well-meaning doctors who really and truly do want to do the right thing don't even know how to recognize a vaccine reaction. And when parents oh, sure. come to them, they have no idea what they're seeing. So because they've been Even though it's in the medical literature, hmm. these reactions from death, SIDS, as they call it, yeah. which is really vaccine death, yeah. uh, to all kinds of horrible health conditions in the brain. There's retardation, there's paralysis, oh. but there's also minor weakness of the immune system. Uh, it's in the literature. It's in the literature, it their is. own medical literature, but they ignore it. One of the interesting things which should be done, and they're not doing it, is to compare a population of vaccinated versus non-vaccinated children. Never been done, but there have been private studies, yep. not founded, not funded by the government or pharmaceutical companies. And everyone shows that non-vaccinated children are far healthier than vaccinated children. Everyone. And you can just, they could talk to parents, for God's sake, talk to parents. Um, parents, parents will know. Who have, <laughs> yeah. Parents have the first couple of kids or three kids were vaccinated and the next three or four or five or whatever kids were not. And the parents or one child was vaccinated, they got a reaction, didn't vaccinate the rest of the children. Parents will repeatedly say there's such a great difference in the health and vitality and intelligence and immune system and personalities between the vaccinated and the non-vaccinated. Yeah. There is no proof that any vaccinated child is healthier than a non-vaccinated child. In fact, it's the opposite. Absolutely. It's the vaccinated kids with all the sicknesses and the non-vaccinated kids are overall far more healthy. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's not the only factor in health care. There's also the damage done by fetal monitors before birth to the brain of the child. And there's the diet of the mother, which when cannot be... When you say fetal monitors, what do you mean? Do you mean ultrasound? Is that what you mean? Or? Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Tremendous damage to the brain. 
and tissues in in the body of the baby mm. and it's been written up brain damage caused by you know these monitors but nobody's being paying attention to it the media doesn't pay attention and sadly the medical profession never admits to making a mistake yeah. ever it's and and that fetal monitoring that that um, ultrasound has become routine um, it used to be that you were told to have one ultrasound at around 20 weeks, and now women are having three, four, and five, and even more ultrasounds during one pregnancy. And the risk to the baby would have to increase every single time, and yet they're never looking at any of these things. Uh, it's become a money-making enterprise, and the more often they can get a woman into that office and flat on her back with her belly up in the air, uh, the more the happier they are because they make more money. Um, it's it's something that we've we've become so addicted to testing and retesting and over testing that um, it it's just it it totally leaves out any a connection between the doctor and the patient because there's always this scientific test or machine between them and they just can't even see the patients anymore. Um, Ted, you consider yourself to be anti-vaccine, is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, I'm not one of those who say, I just, I mean, you can say I'm pro-choice, but I am anti-vaccine. I'm proud of it. How do you define anti-vaccine? I'd like you to tell me that. I've yet to see a vaccine that has done anything good that is only, they only harm. The whole procedure is antithetical to natural healing. The goal of vaccination is to take a toxin, uh, DNA, or a toxin from a bacterium, what have you, and inject it so deep into the body that it, the child cannot expel it, it cannot externalize it. Vaccines do what the immune system is trying to prevent, and that is the introduction of toxins into the bloodstream. I mean, we have a whole immune system that is designed to prevent the body from having deep toxicity. We have all these uh, lymphatics all around our nasal pharynx and our digestive system, and among other things. And yet vaccines bypass our natural healing, bypass our immune system, and introduce poisons directly into the blood where it has access, where they, the poor toxins have access to all the major organs. Yeah. So this is why I think the entire idea of vaccination is totally incorrect. Now, if a person took a poison and they're given uh, an antitoxin, that is something totally different. Uh, we're talking about childhood vaccines, vaccinations for, for the flu, vaccinations for pneumonia or shingles. It's totally ridiculous, yeah. all this stuff. It has not proven to make healthier people. They have found study after study shows that children that are permitted to have fevers and you know expressive illnesses, rash, fever, diarrhea, coughing, what have you, have less cancer as adults, yep. have less heart disease as adults, dramatically less. Yep. And this is not isolated studies. There are not isolated studies. There are many such studies showing that our bodies have these reactions uh, to externalized toxins for a reason. And there is a reason why the body develops tumors, and that is to sequester and store toxins. Most tumors, most cancers disappear once the body is put into balance. This is acknowledged in the medical literature. 
and but the body is not trying to commit suicide your body's not trying to hurt you it does things for a reason mm -hmm. and the natural healer looks for the reason and works with it to help promote detoxification and good nutrition and a reading or storing of balance and order in the body yes and these are the things that um, unfortunately most medical doctors are not trained in and those that that do study this uh, become uh, pariahs to the rest of the medical community. Dr. Paul Thomas, who did one of the recent studies comparing the vaccinated with the unvaccinated in his own practice, and the AVN helped fund that study, um, he lost his medical license after publishing the study, which they, they never criticized what he had done. They never said that he did anything wrong, that he was in any way fraudulent or you know, practiced poorly, uh, but they, they took his medical license away from him. Uh, he had a very successful practice up in Oregon, and, uh, and they just totally got rid of him, which is what the medical profession tends to do with anyone who uh, does question or steps outside of uh, what is considered standard of care. And standard of care simply means uh, doing what everyone else does, giving into peer pressure. Regardless there is, uh, there are uh, a few industries that are totalitarian in nature, if you let them get that way. One is the medical profession, which wants total control over our lives and health. Uh, the other uh, is uh, are the politicians, governments, who are less constrained by good laws and a constitution that is followed yeah. and respected, um, will become total totalitarian and want to take over everything and the other is the media yes very that much apparently, so. and now we have all three joined together and uh with this covid nonsense mm. um the response has been absolutely devastating to our economy to our health and to our, our freedoms and uh you know we say to people hey are you enjoying uh, communism are you enjoying totalitarianism <laughs> How much more are you going to permit? Uh, about a month ago in the state of Pennsylvania, the uh, Republicans put a law on the ballot that our constitution should be amended, state constitution, not permitting the governor to declare these medical marshal, uh, marshal emergencies, and it passed over quite well. Fantastic. And the governor's hands were slapped, and in about a week or so, all restrictions in Pennsylvania are lifted. Fabulous. That's what it needs. It needs Some of the states have state done the do same. That. Yeah, I know Florida and Texas are completely open. Here in Australia, as I said, we don't have a Bill of Rights. Our emergency declaration has just been extended for three months, our federal emergency declaration. And um, that emergency declaration is used by the state premiers, which are like the governors in Australia, to continue their emergency declarations. At this point in time, we've been told that there are 100... <clears throat> Pardon me, 154 people in Australia who have COVID. I mean, according to a PCR test, that's a complete piece of trash. Um, I think there's only about 10 people in hospital with COVID, and that's in the entire country. That's not just localized. And we have had one death since January that has been put down to COVID, and yet we are still living under emergency declarations. States are closing their borders. And people are 
suffering from the worst Stockholm syndrome I've ever seen where they are actually talking to their premiers who are saying, you can't leave your house, you must wear a mask, and saying, thank you so much for keeping us safe. People are so afraid of death that they don't want to live. It's just, it's incredible. If you had told me two years ago that people would have reacted in this way to a government that decided to take all their rights away, I would have said you were crazy. And yet here we are. And I don't really know what the answer is, except that there are a lot more people waking up and standing up. And in Australia, it's not going to be as easy as, as it is in the United States because of our laws. But, um, but I do hope that we see more people standing up and saying, I do not consent to have my rights taken away from me. Um, and I hope that the United States will also have a widespread civil disobedience in the states that that don't allow human rights like New York and California and and Illinois places like that. And hopefully we'll we'll vote out those bastards. Mm, that's right. That's right. Very soon I hope too. So um Ted, do you see any hope and future for chiropractic in the world in the United States anywhere? Is it going to get oh, better? I don't know. I'd, I'd like to be so positive. Um, well, you know what? Uh, a few people with strong beliefs will can beat uh, a large number who are weak. Right. So if the chiropractors who are true vitalists and respecters of natural healing, as long along with those MDs even and osteopaths and homeopaths and others that still still believe in freedom and in an empirical vitalistic way of healing joined together, they can make a tremendous difference. That's what it's gonna take. They can they can win, but you have to be tough and strong and you uh, you have to be willing to fight. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to find the courage to do that. And uh, courage seems to be in short supply nowadays. People are too afraid of it. Well, I'd like to see it happen in, in Australia. Uh, I mean, in mainland Europe, you have a history of people submitting to their governments, right, left, and center. I mean, look at, uh, look at their history. You know, the number one cause of death has been government. And they seem genuinely afraid. Where in America, we sometimes can actually say, I'm going to sue those bastards. Yeah. Though I have to say and we that have more of a history. The number one cause of death in the United States is Western medicine. So um, people <laughs> need to be aware of that <laughs> and stop uh, going to see doctors. Um, they, doc, to me, anyway, to me. Doctors are a last resort after you've tried everything else and it's failed. And so far, I haven't reached that point with our family. But, um, you know, medical medical doctors are the first port of call for far too many people. And far too many people are injured and killed as a result of it. Um, but that said, when I did go to see a chiropractor that first time, it was because I was referred to a chiropractor by my GP, my MD. So um, there is hope. There are doctors out there, there is who hope. are doing that. Yeah. A lot of MDs are miserable. They know and they're, they're, they have drinking and alcohol, drug problems. They know that they're really not getting people healthy and it bothers the, the, the more sensitive ones. Yeah. Um, we, we, yeah, there is hope. I'm hoping for the best that we will prevail if 
there has to be a turning point. Historically, there always has been. Dr. Coulter talked, said when rationalism or mechanism, the medical model has gone too far over the edge, there's a rebound to vitalism and natural healing. And, uh, you know, people talk about people are anti-vax. In most cases, the people are anti-vax have vaccine injured children. They they were true believers. Yeah, I was. I I never questioned it, never. Until my son reacted, I never asked the question. It was sugar water as far as I was concerned. It couldn't cause problems. It could only make you better. And um, the problem is too many parents don't listen to their children, just like too many doctors don't listen to the parents. Um, Our children are talking to us when they react to those vaccines, and we need to listen to what they're saying. And I have to finish uh, writing about uh, a book I was going to call Sex, Lies, and Vaccination. Because in the 20s and 30s, they noticed that a common denominator in vaccine injury was uh, gender dysphoria. Oh, how interesting. I've never heard of that. Um, Yes. Coulter writes about it in his book, Vaccination, Social Violence, and Criminality. I think you have a copy of it. I read that many years ago. I've read... Uh, one one volume of the uh, four volume, and I the first book I read on vaccination <laughs> was DPT a shot in the dark, which yes, was, that was what opened Coulter my Fisher. eyes. Yeah, that opened my eyes. Well, if you look at Coulter's book, Vaccination, Social Violence, and Criminality, go to the chapter on the post-encephalitic syndrome, yep. and you see gender dysphoria, asexuality, mm. hyposexuality, bisexuality, hypersexuality. Uh, all from vaccination damage. Wow. I, I have to reread that. Yeah. It's been about 25 years since I read it. So it was I a great know. book. It's, yeah. a, it's a classic. Read it. I'll quiz yeah. you later. <laughs> oh, I have to study. I'll take notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the teacher in you've you done is quite coming well. in. <laughs> thank you. I'm impressed with everything you've been doing. Oh, thank you so much, Ted. I appreciate that. And I, I hope that there are a lot of chiropractors in Australia who will watch this um, when it broadcasts. And I hope that it will make them wake up a little bit to the fact that each chiropractor might see several hundred patients. And that gives them not just a power, but a responsibility to those patients to actually know what they're talking about and to stand up and defend them. Um, What the AVN felt for a very long time is that we were standing up and fighting for chiropractic and chiropractic needs to stand up and fight for itself. And uh, we will support them every step of the way, as will their patients. But they need to take that first step. And hopefully, listening to you speak and hearing your battles that you won uh, each time yeah. uh, will will give them that impetus to actually do something about this. Thank you. You're so kind. And, uh, yeah, I hope to hear from People, uh, I don't know if I'll ever be flying again unless they remove all the mask restrictions, uh, but I'd love to come back to Australia. And of course, there's nothing preventing Australians from coming to me. Yeah, it's yet. well, except, yeah, it's very hard for Australians to leave the country and then come back. So that's the problem. But uh, yeah, I, I would love to come back to the United States. I would love to see you again, and I would love to welcome you to Australia. So hopefully normality and sanity will prevail, and we will be able to travel once again 
if they stop vaccinating pilots, because that's my fear of flying now, is that the pilot is going to have a, an episode in midair, as we've been seeing, and uh, it's going to cause accidents. So let's hope that, uh, that they will stop doing that, the airlines will stop doing that, and people can once again have confidence in the airlines and in the safety of traveling on planes. Uh, Ted, before we finish up, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share? My God, there's so much stuff, but I think you've covered it nicely. <laughs> I'd love to hear from chiropractors, uh, for anyone in Australia. Uh, okay. I'm very good at responding, and uh, hopefully I'll be back teaching core and specific technique uh, yeah. there and uh, giving some talks. Okay. I gave a talk at a chiropractic school there, and they didn't like it. I mean, the students liked it, but the administration wasn't too thrilled. <laughs> Must have been a good talk then. Too much truth for them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. They well, had some indigestion. <laughs> I think that can be treated with an adjustment, actually. But um, <laughs> I will be sharing your website, your Facebook page, and your YouTube channel. And if there's anything else that you'd like me to share, please send it through, and I'll make sure I put that into the show notes. And again, I, I will speak with you again. I look forward to it. But thank you so much for joining us on Under the Wire tonight. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Thank you. Okay. So um, thank you so much. There were a couple of questions before I let you go that I wanted to handle, um, if possible, if you would bear with me for one minute. Now, I saw, first of all, that there were quite a few breaks in the um, in the video, which I think might be due to my internet. The video I have here is close to perfect, so that will be uploaded tomorrow to Rumble, Bitshoot, and Brighteon. So come to avn.org.au in the afternoon, you'll be able to get the links, but our internet is just not great right now. And um, now someone asked, and I'm sorry, but I don't remember who it was, and I should have, I, I'll have to scroll too far back. Someone asked if it was true that in the United States, the states that um, have been rejecting the vaccination and social distancing and the lockdowns and all that stuff are seeing increased numbers of cases. I have not personally seen that, but what the CDC has recommended in the United States that is affecting how cases, and I use cases in inverted commas because a case is described as a positive PCR test, and the PCR tests are so incredibly inaccurate that they're almost useless. Now, what the CDC has said is for anyone who is vaccinated, the test will be done at a cycle threshold of 28. And for anyone who is not vaccinated, the cycle threshold is 40. The higher the cycle threshold, the more likely a positive result will be a false positive. In Australia, at least in New South Wales, and I believe for the rest of the country, the cycle threshold for tests is 45. So it is so far above any point at which you would expect any kind of sensible outcome that it is not surprising that we're seeing an increase in cases that are asymptomatic, but we are not seeing an actual increase in deaths and hospitalizations. And that is the thing. Singapore said 
that they were going to stop counting um, cases a couple of weeks ago. They said they were only going to count deaths and hospitalizations. And that makes so much more sense because who gives a damn if you get a positive PCR test if you're healthy? That, that doesn't mean anything. It just means that the PCR test is rubbish, which we know. But um, you, you care if you're going to be in a hospital and you care if you're going to be sick. And when it comes to, or dead, when it comes to those sorts of cases in Australia, um, they're just not happening. We are not seeing numbers of people dying from COVID. We are seeing that we have one death since January from COVID, according to the official statistics. And last week, a 90-year-old woman in, in New South Wales died. And the, and the article said she didn't die from, from COVID. She died with COVID. And that simply means that after her death, they did a test and it came back positive, but she did not die from COVID. So even if we include that death, that is two deaths in seven months, and since the shot started, since the experimental COVID jab started on the 22nd of February, we have had 377 deaths reported to the um, TGA following the COVID shot. And we know that that only represents less than 10%. So that would be somewhere in the area of close to 4,000 deaths if we were to get accurate statistics. So think about it for a minute. I know this is a tough thing to think about, but you have a chance of two of you dying from the illness, if the illness exists, or 4,000 of you potentially dying from the shot that is meant to prevent the illness, which are you going to choose? Think about it. Don't make any snap judgment. Um, it's just insane. Absolutely insane. Um, I'm just trying to see. Yes. And what I know is yesterday in New South Wales, 65,000 people were tested, and um, I think there were 111 positive test results. Almost none of them were showing any symptoms. So 65,000 people got tested, 111 came back as positive. The sky is falling. Um, what I think needs to happen is people need to stop going for the tests. Now, I heard that Fairfield in Sydney has said that you need to be tested every three days if you go to work. Um, there is actually legislation federally that states that they cannot um, force you to take a PCR test. So please, people, learn your rights. Do not give in. Do not line up for five hours to take this stupid PCR test that means absolutely nothing. And make sure that you know your rights so you can stand up for them. Sharon, absolutely. I did talk about this at the beginning of the program, but next week on July 24th, which is Saturday, it is Worldwide Day of Freedom or Worldwide Freedom Day. And there are 180 cities around the world that are um, going to be uh, celebrating Worldwide Freedom Day. And if you want to find where the nearest event is to you, here once again is the Facebook page, 
that talks about that. So please, it is facebook.com worldwide demonstration. And it is July 24th, 2021. Please, everyone, get there. Make sure your car is full. Make sure that you bring everyone. You share this with everyone. If you share it with a 100 people on your Facebook or Telegram or Twitter or Instagram or whatever social media you use and ask them to share it with a 100 people, which should be easy. Most of us know a 100 people on social media, even if we don't know them all in real life. Um, within the next week, we will have hundreds of thousands of people aware of this. And honestly, as I said at the beginning, there is no excuse not to be there. None. You have got to go. We will all be there. So um, I really think that, yeah, Adam, is that Adam said that Australia is running PCR test cycles between 40 and 45. I know that is the case for New South Wales. Do we have any evidence that that is being done Australia-wide? That's what I'd really like to know. Um, yes. Uh, Robert says there's a big possibility that the PCR test could make you sick due to what it's sterilized in. Um, ethylene oxide is in the PCR test. Ethylene oxide is one of the main ingredients in antifreeze. It is um, a carcinogen. It causes cancer. And if you look at the MSDS, which is the material safety data sheet for ethylene oxide, you will see that one of the warnings is that it should never, ever be inhaled at any um at any concentration. So it's not to be inhaled, but they're sticking it up your nose. Um, and what are you going to do? You're going to breathe it in. And if you take multiple tests, you're going to breathe it in multiple times. And when you come down with cancer in a few years time, will the government or the doctors take any responsibility for that? No. In addition to that, it does appear that at least some of the, of the swabs that are being used to test for PCR are also contaminated with graphene um, oxide. I think it's graphene oxide. Now, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Jane Ruby on Under the Wire. If you did not watch that one, please watch it because this is very concerning. Um, I just shared some information with Dr. Ruby that I've come across in the last few days about how ethylene oxide can be used to form these cages. I think I'm pretty sure they're called cages and they have pictures of them. And because it's a magnetic, it has magnetic properties, the um, nanoparticles of ethylene oxide are attracted to each other and they bond and they have this, it's almost like a mesh um, structure and it forms these long tubes and these long tubes could very well be what's clogging up people's arteries and veins and capillaries and causing the blood clotting. So um, that ethylene oxide and graphene oxide appear to both be in at least some of the PCR swabs and some of the single-use masks that are being sold in stores. So we are breathing in toxins and carcinogens when we agree to wear a mask and when we agree to a PCR swab. So please do not agree to either one of those things. You have a right to breathe freely and you have a right not to be poisoned. So um, yeah, now I'm just trying to see what else we have here. Uh, I'm going to also very quickly, if I can find where I put that, I'm going to share the links here 
to our video um, video pages, hang on a second, and podcasts. If you guys wouldn't mind sharing this for me so that other people will see it, I'm just about to paste it in here. Um, if you guys could share that, that would be great. Um, tomorrow, this will be up on the video pages and also the podcast will be up tomorrow afternoon. Uh, so if you like to listen to this in your car, I know I listen to podcasts all the time in the car. Um, graph graphite. No, it's graphene, I'm pretty sure. Graphene. There's there's both of the things, graphene and ethylene oxide. And I'm pretty sure the graphene is graphene oxide. Um, so do take a look. It's, it's magnetized. Um, and you can look up what I've just found about the um, cages that are formed by the magnetized graphene oxide. Uh, and this is information that predates the use of the experimental jab by many years, probably five or six years. So uh, this is nothing new. It's just that this information has not been put out. Um, yes, uh, James Sky, our children are depending on us. Please make a stand July 24th. There is nothing that I know all of us would do anything we possibly can to keep our children safe. And we need to take a stand on the 24th of July to do that. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Sally Ann Clark says, um, I am in the Philippines. All air travel at the moment requires negative PCR testing prior to travel, followed by quarantine. Now, if you test negative before traveling, why do you need to quarantine? And if you've gotten the experimental jab, see, that's the thing. Sydney is on lockdown and now Melbourne's on lockdown. They are not making any, um, exemptions for people who've had both jabs. So what is the point of taking these shots if you still have to lock down and quarantine and social distance and test and all that other rubbish? Um, so we really and truly, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lorela. Lorella, sorry. Uh, graphene oxide. Yes, that is graphene oxide. I'm glad I didn't forget what it was called. Um, Okay. Pamela says, I wear a mask when I have to, to be respectful. Um, now, who are you respecting by wearing a mask? Do you believe that a mask will actually stop the spread of a viral illness? Um, if there is a virus called SARS-CoV-2, it measures two nanometers. The pores in the mask are in the hundreds of nanometers. So the, the analogy that I always love is your mask is as effective at stopping the spread of a virus as a chain link fence is at stopping the spread of mosquitoes. Um, that doesn't do anything. So you're not respecting anybody by using one. You're simply complying. And complying is not going to help us in this situation. We need massive civil disobedience. We need people to stop wearing masks, stop signing in, and and just, you know, stand up for yourself and come along on the 24th to your closest um, uh, rally. Uh, I'm going to be at the one in Brisbane. I would love to see 50,000 of you there. And that should be nothing for a city the size of Brisbane with the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast and Toowoomba and Ipswich within easy driving distance. So get there, please. If I can come there from northern New South Wales, you can come there too. So um, Naomi says masks hurt you. And yes, they do. Aside from the contaminants on the masks, the lack of oxygen and the excess of carbon dioxide is not good. 
not good for you at all. So um, we need to make sure that we make these decisions not. <laughs> yes, Robert, you are right. Um, and I did see a, a study about that. I'm not going to highlight that here. But, um, oh, Kelly, wonderful. See you there. And Bozena, I hope I'm pronouncing that. We will be there. That's fantastic. Um, oh, Aldi took the food away from me last week when I did not QR code. Um, you, there is no legal requirement to QR code. And it is totally um, voluntary. Voluntary on the part of the store and voluntary on your part. So please look at um, Reignite Democracy, look at the AVN's website, get the information there. I'm putting this out tomorrow in a newsletter also. So uh, make sure you sign up for our newsletter at avn.org.au. It's free um, and we put out fantastic information. Um, so really and truly, uh, do not give in to this. Do not comply to this. I know that sometimes fighting is difficult and nobody likes to have this constant um, battle, but freedom is not free. We need to fight for it. And right now we need to fight for it like we've never fought for it before. Uh, Hanny, that'll be great. Please come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you. Oh, Sharda, here you are. I'm glad you found us. I, I only found out a half an hour before tonight that I was able to come to Facebook again. I don't know what happened, but I'm not going to question this. Um, Irene, I have also never worn a mask. I have never scanned in. I have never social distanced. And um, I have never had a PCR test, nor will I. Um, I will not do it. Oh, that's fantastic. Melbourne is going to be fabulous. I want to see really and truly Melbourne. There's about, I don't know, maybe... 3 million people in, in the city of Melbourne. And then there's the Dandenongs and all those other places nearby. I think it should be easy to get 100,000 people out to Melbourne. And the police will not be able to stop you if there are that many. It's only because there's only a few hundred that go and then they get treated brutally. Be more than Be more in numbers than the police and you will see the police back down. Uh... Anna said, what is the QR code? The QR code is that square. Um, it's like a barcode, but it's a square thing. And people are scanning their phones and it's part of track and trace. So, yes. Um, so uh, it's, it's something that the government and a lot of businesses are saying are required, but they're not. So... <laughs> Lorella, that I can relate to that. Um, she's saying she's writing in block letters because she doesn't have her glasses. I feel exactly the same. Yes, graphene oxide and 5G, that was considered a um, conspiracy theory, and now it's turned into conspiracy fact because there are articles going back uh, several years at least talking about, I mean, I'm talking about to the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004, about using... Um, uh, I forget, it's it's called highly magnetic or um, there's a word for it and I've lost it, uh, graphene oxide to control the brains of, of experimental animals and possibly people. So um, we really and truly need to be aware that this could very well be the plan that our government has. 
Um, how can you fly if you don't do the PCR? To be honest with you, I don't know, Lynette, but how can you not protest if you're going to be required to use a PCR? If we all get out there and protest and tell the government we are not going to stand for this, they are not our bosses. We are their bosses. They are the servants of the public. Let's remind them of that. Um, we really and truly need to do that. Yeah, Judith said that's bad. I have found Aldi completely non-judgmental. Maybe depends on the individual store. And I think it does. And again, if you weren't here at the very beginning, if you know your rights, then you know what to say to the people who are there telling you that you can't come in, you can't buy food, you have to wear a mask. You need to put them personally and their business on notice that you are aware that what they are doing is in breach of federal legislation. Federal legislation will always take precedence over state legislation. You need to have the legislation with you. Um, I will be sending out a newsletter tomorrow that will have much of this information. You need to print it out, carry it with you, and be prepared to show it to them and say to them, I want to support your business, but if you are going to discriminate against me, then I will have no choice but to file an official complaint uh, you know, with the, with the proper authority, whether it's privacy or anti-discrimination, an official complaint against you personally and against this business. And you will see them back down 99 times out of 100. So we really and truly need to stop complying and stop being scared. Uh, they should be scared of us because we know our rights and they are uh, discriminating against us. So they need to stop that. Um, yes, Robert, the Australian people need to realize that the government have declared war on its people. Now it's time for lawful rebellion and a bloodless rebellion, but a rebellion through civil disobedience and through the actions that we can take. Um, and tomorrow in the newsletter, there's going to be a lot of information about actions you can take. And one of the most important actions is showing up on the 24th to the demonstration nearest you. So... Um, Okay, um, Nini is asking, Meryl, what does the cycle threshold mean? Please explain. I'm in the UK. I don't know if this is going to be a good explanation. Think about a virus as a ladder. That's how I learned about it. It's basically DNA or RNA. And you have a ladder which um, has the sides and then rungs where you put your feet. Now in DNA, the ladder is twisted around like a spiral staircase. And in RNA, there's only half the ladder, but it still has the rungs and it still has the sides. Now, when they identified SARS-CoV-2, they've never isolated it or purified it. What they've done is they have taken sputum or whatever liquid out of the lungs of one person in Wuhan who they thought displayed symptoms of SARS and they mixed it with all this other stuff including human cells including animal cells including all of these chemicals and they ended up with this tiny little piece of the ladder now the ladder may have 50,000 steps on it so it's very, 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 very long. And they got a piece of it that was possibly eight steps long. And what they do is they say, well, these eight steps are unique 
to SARS-CoV-2. How do they know that? They don't. They have no idea. But they say this is unique to SARS-CoV-2. And what we're going to do is we're going to make a test that's going to use this section of the ladder. And because the ladder itself is so long, and this is only a tiny little piece of it, when we take material from a person that we're testing, we are going to take sections of that ladder that we find, and we're going to duplicate them, or, you know, of any ladder that we find. It may not be that exact section. We're going to take pieces of that um, code, and we're going to, like a photocopier, duplicate it over and over and over again. The World Health Organization says that you should be able to get a positive by duplicating that 25 times. So you take that little section and you photocopy it 25 times, and if it matches what you think is SARS-CoV-2, then you have a positive result. But what we are doing in Australia is we are duplicating it 40 to 45 times. And when we do that, almost every test is going to come out and show that little section of the ladder, even if it's not really there, because it is amplified. That's what it's called. You're amplifying the results. And the more you amplify it, the more likely you are to get a positive result. And the more likely that positive result is to be a false positive. And what we've been told is that over 35 cycles, every single positive is a false positive, And we are doing 45 cycles. So I hope that explanation made some sense. I, I tried to make it clear, but I don't know if I did. I'm sorry if I didn't. If I didn't, do look up PCR tests online and you will find a lot of information about it. And there's so much more than that, that the primer that they're using to actually uh, put the test in can affect how the test comes out also. And the test itself needs to be verified. So before before we use a PCR test, we're supposed to actually test the test and make sure that the result it's giving is right. And these tests, not the PCR test, not the antigen tests, have never been verified. So it even says it. If you look at the results, let's say you get a test and it comes back from the laboratory. We've had a few of these shared with us. At the bottom of the test, it says, this test has not been verified for accuracy, but the government is using this bullshit test, I'm sorry, excuse my expression, to lock down the country, to take away your rights, to force a mask on your face, to force a vaccine and experimental jab in your arm, and to tell you that you can't work because you're not essential. I'm sorry. We need to stand up because this is all rubbish. So, oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that worked. I'm, I wasn't sure that I was going to get that clear or not, but... Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that worked. Yeah, and, and Rodney, 40 to 45 times is way over the top. But what the New South Wales Department of Health says on their website is that the tests are almost always run at 45, very rarely at 40. So we are at the maximum um, that, that the test is supposed to be run at. So it's kind of amazing that we only got 111 out of 60 5,000 um, tests that were run yesterday. But according to the information that we have, every single one of those 111 positive results was false. So um, yeah, I think that I think that Rodney 40 
to 45 times, 97% of positive readings, I have actually heard 100%, but it's it's splitting hairs. Whether it's 97% false positive or 100% false positive, the fact is we shouldn't be relying on anything that's that inaccurate. So, um, yeah, yep, Greg, they are, they are infected or, or contaminated with ethylene oxide. It's not even a contaminant. They add ethylene oxide as a preservative. Um, and there were some tests that were run. Um, I'm pretty sure in Australia, uh, kiwi fruit, um, and two other fruits might have been a banana and something else, and all of them came back positive. So, you know, it, it is, it's so crazy that we know this. The government knows this, the medical community knows this, but they are still continuing with this, um, let's everybody get PCR tested as often as possible. And it's because the more people who get PCR tested and the more positive results that come back, the longer they can keep their emergency powers. And that is the end goal. Um, as far as Anastasia and Gladys and certainly Dictator Dan are concerned, they want to have those powers forever. And if we allow them to, they will. So we can't allow that to go on any longer. Folks, it is almost 10 o'clock at night. I'm going to be turning into a pumpkin in five minutes. So I don't want you to view that. It's just just too horrendous. So <laughs> I want to thank everyone for coming along tonight on Under the Wire. I hope you got um, some good stuff out of this. I, I just love Ted Corian. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful person. And um, I think his example of fighting against really strong powers as just a small person who was doing something because he thought it was right and winning is something that we need to keep in our minds. Because if we do the right thing for the right reason, there is absolutely no chance that we're going to fail. But we need to do it. We need to get together and we need to stand up. And I want to see every single one of you and all your family and all your friends um, out on the 24th of July, wherever you happen to be. And uh, we will win this if we do that. Okay, thanks so much and have a beautiful night, everyone, and a great week to come. And I'll see you next week on Under the Wire, um, which will be happening after the rally on the 24th. So it'll be on the 25th. Uh, thanks so much and take care. Bye bye.